Well, welcome, uh, friends, this afternoon or this morning, rather, to our third of three coffee conversations with uh, Dr. Ron Cook and Dr. Levi Price. But guys, welcome back. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, Thank you. We're glad y'all are joining us today. Our conversation today is going to fit kind of go on ministry transition um, and then on finishing strong. How do you how do you finish well in ministry, which is of increasing concern to to many people? Um, so we'll just jump right in. Uh, Ron and Levi, I guess the first question, just thinking about y'all's really stories of um, each of y'all served in several different churches several, and came to serve at the seminary in different chapters of your, your ministry. When you made that transition from one place to another, can you share a little bit about how you knew it was the right decision, how you knew it was time to move from one place to another? Because undoubtedly, both of you had other opportunities that you said no to or stayed in a place when maybe you had another opportunity. How did you know when it was time to transition from one season, one place to another? I wanted to hear Levi talk here. I, okay, if I'm going to lead out, I'm going to say this. I'll tell you what not to do. Uh, one time, uh, at about the toughest time in my ministry, I got home from a convention, and I ran into some pastor friends who had talked to folks out and about, and uh, I had a lot of resumes out there. And one of my friends told me, he said, uh, Ron, I think you put resumes in the towel dispensers at the convention. <laughs> Uh, so, <laughs> so I'll, I'll, uh, when I got accused of having some resumes out there, they were pulling out the towel dispensers at the convention. I thought, man, I need to change uh, the way I'm operating here and doing things. Uh, but I'll lead off with that story, and then that Levi bring us back to what we, what you should do. That's what yeah. you shouldn't do. <laughs> so a little more strategy than just broad disbursement. There's a uh, yeah. I'll, I'll say a couple of things here, and I, we, we put, put some thought into this, you know. Um, every time, I used to tell guys in the pastor's class, God may call you somewhere, but he also calls you away from somewhere. Mm -hmm. And every time I moved, I knew it was time to move. And man, I can't tell you how I knew. It doesn't. As I think about it now, it doesn't seem that it was always the same. Yeah. But every time I made a transition, I knew it was time to move. Uh, a couple of times, uh, there were concrete things. Uh, when I made the move to El Paso for my last church in California, I was so frustrated. We, we were stuck. We were having three services on Sunday morning and two Sunday schools, and we couldn't buy land. We made a deal to uh, buy a piece of land that would give us the land and also be closer to the freeway, you know, mm. uh, where people could see, could have seen the church from the yeah. freeway and the people voted not mm -hmm. to do it. Yeah. And so there was a concrete thing in that particular case that was frustrating to me. Uh, when I left El Paso, I honestly felt like, um, I just felt like they needed new leadership. Yeah. I've been there 17 years. And I honestly felt like they needed new leadership. That's mm -hmm. just, that's just, I felt like they needed mm -hmm. um, a different, different face, a different voice. Um, I also want to say, if I may, yeah. I made a couple of mistakes. And I'm going to, can I speak to Please, that? Yeah. When I went to my second church, and if you watch the last uh, meeting we had, I mentioned when I went to my second church, 
it was a mistake. I should not have gone to that church. Um, there are reasons why one of my mentors was a pastor there. He wanted me to come there. Um, and, uh, you know, there were some other concrete reasons for mm -hmm. considering yeah. going to that church. Mm -hmm. But, but it was, it was, uh, I made a mistake. I just, and I knew, I knew the week that I told about to come be their pastor. I knew that week that I mm -hmm. made a mistake, but I was too young to know, you know, if, if I had more experience, I would have backed off of it, go back yeah. to my church and say, it's okay if I stay here for a little bit longer. <laughs> you know, I'm serious. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It was a mistake. And I had a bad time. I explained that last time at that church. And then I went to the mission field. Um, and I had to go to the mission field because um, I needed to move, get, get out of that church. I had to, went to the mission field. And I had to go to the mission field to realize <laughs> that my calling was not a missionary calling. Yeah. I was, my mm -hmm. calling was a pastoral calling, mm -hmm. not a missionary calling. How long did you stay in that church? I was there three years. Three years. Three years. Three years. And uh, I, uh, and, and the church yeah. did well. This, yeah. is, this is incredible. The yeah. church actually grew. Yeah. But I was miserable. And I almost, mm. you know, as mm. I explained before, yeah. I almost left. Mm. Anyway, uh, but now here's the thing I want to say. Even if you make a mistake, God is a redeeming God. Mm. And he can use that mistake. And we went to Mission Field. And again, God blessed us. We started eight different churches down mm. there and where I was when I was there. But I knew I would I'd be putting together a conference or something. And inviting somebody in to preach, and all the time I'm thinking, I wish I was the one that was coming in to preach. <laughs> you understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And I realized that, and I even asked the mission board if they would let me be a pastor. If they let me yeah. be a pastor, I would stay on the field. Mm -hmm. But at that time, it was illegal in Mexico to have a foreigner as a pastor. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so they would not let me yeah. be a pastor. Mm -hmm. Anyway, but here's the thing I want to say God is a redeeming God. And listen, had I not gone to Mexico, had I not learned to speak Spanish and learned to be with Hispanic people, I don't think they would ever call me to be pastor of El Paso. Mm -hmm. El Paso is a Hispanic town, 80% mm -hmm. Hispanic, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. And you just about have to speak at least some Spanish to get along in El Paso. Mm -hmm. And uh, so even though you make a mistake, God's a redeeming God and he can, he can straighten that stuff out. Yeah. So I've talked too long, but that, that, that's basically what yeah. I'd like to say as far as talking about. You know, I remember you told us in class that God calls you and sometimes God will call you away. And I didn't believe it. I mean, really you hear that, but until you expect, it's much more common to experience a call to a place. And uh, my eighth year in Marble Falls, I haven't told Marble Falls of this with so my, Marble Falls friends are watching this, another piece of that story. Six, eight months, somewhere in there before we left, I started to sense that and it, it broke my heart. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't, it was not my will. Mm -hmm. um, and there were no opportunities either <laughs> on mm -hmm. the horizon. And so it mm -hmm. took a while to work through that. And it was one of the bigger shocks of my life that sent me to a little bit of a, a calling spiral to resign and feel relief, not sadness. Now, mm. there was no comment on the love of my people and my church there that still is home for us in many ways. Um, but you felt God's presence in that, calling you away and calling you to at that point to come here to truth. And that was a, 
that was, I, I think that's true. Not every time is it just like that, I think, but um, certainly was my experience. But Ron, what about you? Well, um, you know, it's such a mystery uh, about how God bring, makes good matches. I, I am intrigued by it. I'm, you know, I'm just fascinated by congregational life and by pastors. I get frustrated at the bad matches, and we see a lot of them. Uh, and I, you know, I wish I could better understand why that's happening more. I do think we're seeing more bad matches. I don't know, maybe not Levi. Anyway, that that may be a. I'm not sure about that. I I see more bad matches. Maybe I I know it going in. I'll see somebody and I'll think, man, that looks like a train wreck, you know. Yeah. And wish I could say something, and maybe I should sometimes. Um, but I, you know, on the on the real human level, I think there are two reasons I've seen why God brings a pastor to a church. I think that's important to know to talk about leaving and going. And one is for a church to become more whole. You know, that's the internal reason. And there's an external reason that a church will have more impact. God really intends for the church to have uh, what I call centripetal power, salt and light to a community mm -hmm. and centrifugal power, the force to share the gospel and love of Christ to transform our world. And for a pastor to uh, lead a church to have impact, it's those two things to become more whole and be more impactful. Now, that's just a real human yeah. view, and I'm using human language. And so why does a church, why does God call somebody? I've had to understand that to go to answer, ask why God led me into a church that was had a pathological level of division mm. and and you know uh and just almost gonna have conflict no matter what why well god intends for the church to be whole yeah and in the process of god using pastors and you can you can you know i've heard pastors say i had to bring healing to a church there was a lot of chaos that had to settle down there was division there are differences of opinion however it manifests itself. God wants his church to be whole. And some pastors are led to churches to become whole. And I, th I actually think both. And I don't think you have to wait for the church to be whole to lead the church to have impact. You didn't, you didn't in El Paso, your church began growing the day you showed up, Levi. So it was growing the whole time you were there. Um, so you don't have to wait. So then uh, I, I was asking a moment ago about a scripture. You know, I think you've, I think if God has led you to a church to be more whole, you've got to listen to James 1.4 and let your steadfastness have its full effect. Mm -hmm. If you have a sense that your time there has had the effect that God intended through you, whatever it is, I, I think there's a real peace and resolve in that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think that's something, you know, I've heard pastors say, God gave me peace to leave. God brought healing, whatever. But I think that's what's happening in my human understanding yeah. is that God has brought a level of wholeness yeah. to the congregation. Uh, so that, you know, that's one thing I'd say. And, and maybe in our conversation, we'll talk more. I think they're on the other side. Levi's talked about that. Maybe I'll hold that. We might talk about what is it that, that you might sense yeah. down the way. I, um, and I'll hold that right now. I don't want to keep talking. Can I, yeah. can I tell uh, you, know, I don't know if you remember, but in my leadership class, I used to give out this uh, different kinds of pastoral leadership yeah. thing. And I never did realize until I came to seminary, and I've said this in class, anybody that had me in class knows it. I never did realize 
every church that I went to, every church that I went to, I went to after they'd gone through a real problem, hmm. a split, a problem with the pastor, they fired the pastor or something. Every church I went to was that. And one of those, one of those leadership roles in there was something about rebuilding. Hmm. Yeah. And and I every one of them, when you think about this, every church you went to was in that kind of situation, you know. Then you realize this is something about who you are. And so I think being called to called to a church yeah. would be um, is there is who I am a fit for their needs? Yeah. Is who I am a fit for their needs? And so that we got to look deeper than ourselves to see that and know that. See, I did not realize it, yeah. but everyone I went to was in trouble. Yeah. They'd run a pastor off, they'd had a split, you know, that sort of thing. And and we were able to, we, and I said we, I, I probably should, should say God, but I kind of think God does in partnership with us. So uh, together, we were able to bring peace to those congregations. That, that's what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. and, and to move mm -hmm. ahead. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it does have something to do with who we are. Yeah. Who we are as an individual, who we are as a pastor. Well, ideally, I, you know, and, and it, it should be this way. If we, if we could get better at helping people understand who they are as pastors, uh, I think that's critical. I think we, I just said it all right there. Um, that's why I came on this podcast. I don't, <laughs> oh, come on this, now. Come I on. get to, no, I mean, it's, it's the bedrock reality, Levi, and it's just the truth. Um, you know, the, the church that is considering you, uh, I had, you know, the best move, I, the, the clearest move that I ever made. Uh, I, uh, I talked with the church a year before I went and said, I don't feel it. They came back around. So you, that, that happened with you at El Paso. Yeah. And the first time around is, well, we just heard things and we think you'd be a good pastor of our church. Yeah. The, a year later, um, uh, Donna Burney, who's an adjunct professor at Baylor right now, uh, she was Donna Maples at that time, but Donna, professor at Howard Payne, called me back and I said, what makes you think I need to become pastor of your church? And she read me my profile. Wow. She said, because of this and this and this and this and this. Not only did I, had I come to a better understanding of who I was. Mm. And some of that had come through negotiation. Levi, you talked about going back and forth with El Paso because they need to adjust. If I'm going to be your pastor, there's some adjustments to get ready yeah. for me that you need to make or whatever. And well, I tell you, when you hear that, there's this, there's this drawing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you think, boy, I mean, it's, it just gets clear. And that's the best yeah. step I ever made. Yeah. Uh, that's how it happened. And it, you know, so I, and, but that's, that's ideal. That doesn't, that hasn't happened yeah. all along the way with me. I, you know, that's where Donnie Iversheim said he was the best pastor he'd ever had. Yeah. yeah. Well, well, and that's the, for young pastors, that's the difficulty right out of seminary. Yeah. You, you know, some about yourself, but you haven't really been tested fully yet and developed um and you just need a job you know you you kind of you can't always uh just find the one that suits you best um, some of that is learned over time but hopefully we all continue to grow and continue to learn uh even through that but that that's interesting well what we're facing right now um is a, a wave of retirements um not i mean 
well, they're calling this the great resignation period in across <laughs> industries post-COVID, um, but certainly retirements that were either delayed during COVID or sped up because of COVID <laughs> um, and, and just because of the, the baby boomer generation, we just have a huge number of pastors who stayed a little longer in ministry than maybe others have before that are retiring um, and others considering it. So thinking about that, it's not the last stage of ministry, but generally that's a big step to take. How did you both know it was time to retire? Because I'm sure there's a, a lot of feelings go into that. A lot of, uh, well, I haven't been through it, so I won't speak into that, but it's a big decision for you and your, your family and everybody. When did y'all know it was time to retire? And how did that come about? I believe I was going yeah. first this time. I'm listening. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to uh, I talk about that, but can I back up this? Sure, of course. When I, when I came to the seminary, you know, in the year 2000, I had this subdural uh, hematoma, and, you know, I was, got meningitis in the hospital. Y'all know the story. I was out virtually for a year. And uh, Dick Maple, dear friend, passed away just recently, but Dick uh, had been pastor Del Paso before, and he was at the state office at that time. He literally blocked everything off, and he was like the interim pastor during that time while I was in the hospital. So, you know, that has an effect on me. So when, when Paul, I didn't come to seminary like everybody else. I had some problems with Southern Factory initially because I didn't come like everybody else. Paul brought me, period. <laughs> and uh, you're smiling, but that's true. Is it? <laughs> Paul brought me here. That, that, that's exactly what happened. But when he called me and he said, uh, you know, he called me and he says, uh, I figured he was asking for money. You know, Paul, yeah. I figured he was asking for money. <laughs> for those not related to Truett, this is Dean Paul Powell, who was an incredible fundraiser and the dean of Truett for eight years, something like that, know. early 2000s, and a pretty legendary figure in his own right. He really was. But anyway, and I've known Paul for a long time. But anyway, he called and I said, what do you want, Paul? <laughs> I figured you wanted money. He said, uh, Levi, I want you to come to seminary and teach seminary students how to be pastors in the real world. And that really hit me, mm. you know, because I mm. had just gone through this trouble thing when I almost died. Mm. And uh, I was wondering how it has been the rest of my time. And so, you know, Physical things and everything else played in played into that. Plus, at that time in my life, my thought was if I can make a difference in a whole class of pastors, you know, that's a way to multiply your mm -hmm. ministry. So I, I just wanted yeah. to throw that into that part. Again, when I when it came time for me to retire from seminary, um, I just knew it's time to retire. Mm -hmm. And I I went into office. I, Sit there at breakfast one morning with, with Lou, my wife. And I was 67 at that time. And uh, I, I said, You know, I've never tried that. David Garner was our, he was associate dean and then dean, but he was the one that actually ran the seminary during those years. And, and uh, David was the one that he had told me, said, it said uh, You stay as long as you want to. Yeah. You know? but I, so I went in and I told David, I said, David, I'm ready to retire. But he said, oh, goodness, you're not the one I wanted to retire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was me. He, he wanted, no, I wanted you. <laughs> I wasn't you, and I'm not going to say who it was, but I know who it was. But anyway, anyway, uh, 
And so I retired, but then they, they turned around and asked me to keep teaching as an adjunct. And so I did actually for several years, I taught as an adjunct. Uh, here, I wasn't on the faculty anymore, but I did come in and teach classes. Anyway, um, it, it's really difficult for me to explain exactly why, but just like in these other cases, and when I finally went in and told uh, Terry York, who was the associate dean, when I stopped teaching, when I finally went in and told Terry York, I said, all right, it's time for you to get somebody younger. I really felt like that, Matt, that I needed somebody younger. Mm -hmm. yeah. I, I found myself bringing people into my class who were younger pastors yeah. so that they could, that they could uh, you know, communicate with the students. It wasn't that I didn't feel like I could still teach them something. A lot of the students thought I was too old to teach them something. Mm -hmm. I felt like that. Yeah. And so sometimes it's a concrete thing. Sometimes it's more of a, I just know it's time kind of thing. That's that's for me. And, uh, uh, you know, um, I've always done the thing I thought was the right thing to do. Yeah. So that's really the bottom line. That's helpful. There's an, uh, Levi's just, uh, but once again, uh, summed it up. I mean, it's um, there's an old adage that you will know, mm. and and that's true. Yeah, you know, you you, you know, you will know. Um, I, you know, Matt. I, um, boy, I want to be careful here. I I found myself today wanting to be careful because everybody's life is so different, and these are really really that's sensitive right. things. Um, I do think I see a lot of hanging on going on. <laughs> and uh, that's not pretty. I didn't want to be in that mode. I know that. And I knew that early on. And I know a lot of people feel that way. And quite frankly, I mean, this is insensitive and probably not wise to say. I see more of that in academic circles than I do in pastoral life. And, um, you know, there are younger people who really need the opportunity to serve. I know that. And that's, I sense some of what Levi said yeah. there that, you know, you start thinking who, who really is, needs to be doing this. So that, those are factors. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, this, Matt, I mean, for the last five years, I saw another chapter. I, I just think in our calling, I, I really didn't see my retirement. I, I saw my retirement as a retirement from full-time mm, yeah. responsibility. Yeah. But I, I saw another chapter. I think that may have, that and one other thing were, were the biggest factors. Um, you know, we, uh, Levi and Lou have gone through quite a crisis. I'm about to allude to Lou DeSera's cancer, but I'll tell you what, when, when the one, when you're, the one you shared life with goes through something, it really does change you. Yeah. And uh, not only could I see another chapter, but I realized whatever time I had left, you know, I, I tell you what, when, when, you know, uh, when God matches you in life and ministry with just an ideal person, I married the happiest girl in the world. I really did. I mean, she is the happiest girl on the planet. And, uh, uh, Sarah doesn't mind if I call her a girl. I get away with that. She lets me know she's the boss and she's the woman of the house, so I don't have to worry about that. But just more time with her was a factor that we, you know, there was more to life. But this other chapter of ministry really pulled me forward. Yeah. Bottom line. I, and I didn't know what in the world that would be. But I, I had a sense. I, I didn't know if I was going to 
go down with, you know, I admire Matt Snowden as much as any pastor on this earth. I love him to death. And I thought, well, if I just need to go down and say, Matt, what do you need me to do? Yeah. You know, whatever that chapter is, uh, as it turned out, there was another, another opportunity. So, yeah. But that other, I just saw another chapter and I, I think that's important. You know, this calling doesn't stop. It has Dr. Dr. Levi, obviously he's he pastor through the pandemic, which that's I didn't right. Know. Well, we'll turn to that in a minute. I, you said there's a lot of hanging on going on. And, uh, you know, we've worked in the last several years here with a few thousand churches, I guess, in transition, um, several hundred a year over six years, six and a half. And, you know, there's been a few people that made bad mistakes and did a lot of damage. A few pastors that had major personal struggles that caused a lot of conflict and damage in the church. But the most common call we get in our placement office is things were going well four or five years ago. And then the, pa the pastor stayed a little too long, you know, and maybe it's to get the kids through high school or college or, or for lack of opportunity, or you needed to get to retirement age. And um, I, boy, it, it's difficult when you're in it. But at any stage, uh, we have to be faithful to know when to go and know when to leave. Um, and that's a, that's a really tough thing. And, and I would say the stereotype is that pastors are pretty bad at retirement. <laughs> we can be some really unhappy folks when we lose a lot of that um, being at the center of things and that, that pulpit to preach and our call. I mean, that's a, a complicated thing. So it's helpful to, to hear that. Um, and you guys, uh, as you've, I'll, I'll reference it this way. Y'all said it more positively. Y'all been pretty bad at retirement. Y'all, uh, <laughs> y'all came out of that pretty quick. So in a, a time when, if you wanted to, you, you could, um, do any number of things or not do any number of things. You all have kept, um, serving the church well and faithfully. And I, Ron kind of started us off on saying there was calling to something. What has led you to keep doing interims, uh, Levi, and to keep serving uh, a church, not full-time, but, but quite a bit of the time? What has led you on? What does that look like for you at this stage of life? How many interims have you done? Any idea? Uh, 2021, something like okay. that. Yeah. I, I, uh, it's really a... Uh, loaded question. So I'm, I, I want to say one thing that he mentioned, Sarah, is the great. Uh, a lot of us in the ministry, and the three of us included, there's nothing in the world like a pastor's wife mm. or a pastor's spouse. Mm. Nothing in the world like a, a real pastor's wife. Mm. And and uh, Sarah, Sarah's a great one. I'm a great one. You know, you've married to a great one. I just, it's just. There's just nothing in the world like a pastor, a real pastor's wife. That's just how it is today. So I just wanted to throw that in. Uh, you know, the, it, it all goes back to the calling and to who we are. And, uh, you know, I came to seminary, but I still had this desire to be a pastor. And so uh, I wanted to preach, yeah. but it was more to it than preaching. And so, you know, I began to, to take interims at that particular time and, and go be interim somewhere. And uh, then uh, because I was teaching life work to pastor, I took the uh, course for the intentional interim 
at the time, I really didn't plan to be in the intensive <laughs> room. You and I took some, we took a basic course together. We took the first one together. Uh, and right. then I went on and took the intestinal room because I was thinking if I'm going to teach pastors, I need to know what's yeah. going on with this thing. And then I started taking on uh, some, some uh, what we call traditional interims and some intentional interims. And the ones that I've done, because I've been completely out of the intentional interims. But anyway, there's process you go through with yeah. that and everything. Uh, and I don't know, it's it's just, it's a, once again, it, it goes back to who you are, it's part of who you are. Yeah. And the last one, you know, I worked with a church here in town and they asked me to come help them figure out how to die, mm. which was really, really hard, mm. really hard. Mm. So we got that figured out, and we did well. It's a long story, I don't mean to yeah. tell it, but we got it figured out. We did it well. Uh, and and then after that, I, I just told a couple of churches, uh, I'm burned out, or I don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. So I wanted for a couple of years with that. But just like you're talking about with going to see Matt. So I'm in Dr. Patterson's class over at the First Baptist <laughs> Church. You know, I, I went because I wanted some of his wisdom, you know, <laughs> and I'm in his class. And so when he retired because of health reasons, yeah, I uh, they asked me if I'd take over and I took over that class. So I taught that class for two years. What it did is it gave me the opportunity to do some pastoral work, you yeah. understand, and, and all this. And then this thing came up over at Pittsburgh when I'm now, and I, I, I went ahead and prayed about it and took it on. Ron and I've talked about this, we're, we're good friends. Uh, if I'd have known the pandemic was coming, <laughs> I don't know what I would have done. About. Jerry Smith passed there for 32 plus years, and Jerry was also a good friend, a very good friend. And uh, so I took, and that's where I've been this last time. Yeah. Um, the only thing I can really say is, even working here at the seminary, and there's a way you do pastor while you're with the yeah. seminary professor and your work yeah. and all this. But even working here at the seminary, I didn't get the fulfillment I got with working in the congregation. Mm -hmm. And so I just uh, continue to do that. I, yeah. I don't really have a, yeah. a concrete reason yeah. for that. And just, and they keep, you know, people would invite me and I would go and talk about it and end up uh, being there with pastor here and there. So uh, they've all been unique experiences, every one of them. Um, this last one's been harder, mainly because of the the, the pandemic. It yeah. made it very difficult. But uh, we're coming out of that now. I hope we're coming out of the pandemic. I hope we are. <laughs> but the church is coming out of yeah. it, at least. Yeah. And, and the church is doing pretty well right now in the circumstances. So I do think that the more interims you do, the more you learn about what's yeah. right and wrong about. And, and you, yeah. do, you do that work now. Yeah. So you learn more about what's right and wrong about doing it. Very different thing than that. pastoring. Oh, yeah. It's different. Okay. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I can't give you a real good answer on that. But that's, that's the best I can do. But it sounds like it's it's love of the church, not just a sense of obligation or boredom <laughs> that keeps you coming out. It's, uh, it's not boredom, because frankly, I could be bored. <laughs> a little more boredom yeah. in life. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, your turn. Your turn. <laughs>
I'm, sorry, I'm gonna I'm, use that I'm later. I'm in Baltimore. No, my goodness, no! I can take some more boredom. Boy, I'm gonna use that one. Uh, this week has been a busy week, so I can use a little more. Oh, I don't. Excuse me. I'm sounding like I'm complaining about being here. I'm not. I'm in. I'm loving this. You know, uh, it is. It's a love. My goodness, I really missed. I really missed uh, congregational ministry. I loved my time at Truett, but my first calling. And, you know, the, what I love the most is uh, pastoral work in, in its various roles, various aspects of pastoral work in the midst of the congregation. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I love listening and studying. I love theology, love reading theology. And, uh, you know, but I, I would tease my theologian friends, there's only one real ecclesiology. And that's a flesh and blood reality of the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. And to study it, understand it, to live among it, to serve among it as the body of Christ is, uh, I believe I mentioned the highs. Yeah. You know, the joy of really doing what you love the most is just, it's almost indescribable to someone mm -hmm. because we hear so many stories and we've talked about them here about how difficult the pastor can be. We neglect to talk about the joys mm -hmm. and the celebration, the immense meaning. It's, I cannot, you know, I don't mean to overly dramatize it. I really don't, but it, I, can't, I can't imagine anybody having a more meaningful life than being among yeah. the people of the congregation. When I, in my role now, it's, it's more of a discipleship and training role. I'm, I'm working alongside uh, Dr. Paul Sands at First Baptist Woodway. He has a seminary-like training institute for his teachers and leaders, and so he needed somebody to direct and help him teach it. So we work together in that. To watch, I've realized watching lay people who are so bright, so brilliant. You know, I, I've got people sitting in me as brilliant, maybe more so than seminary students. I thought, and we had some brilliant students in this school. To watch them begin to learn and integrate and grow, mm -hmm. it is just thrilling to see so I you know what a joy to be able to do it I don't know how long you know that uh, Paul has my resignation letter out there in his desk if anytime he needs me to sign it in first one way he's you know he cut me loose anytime he needs to I, I gave him that from day one input you know just uh, figuratively yeah. that that's reality but um you know, it's, it is so good and I looked forward to that I really did and I still do I don't know what else is out there. I could use a little more boredom sometimes. <laughs> so, and I haven't passed her through a pandemic either. I, you know, another conversation, if you had that conversation, I'd have to sit up, shut up and listen. Yeah. I believe I was pastor during a pandemic. I've just kind of sat there and encouraged and watched it. It's a different time. So anyway. Well, that's such an encouragement. Um, I know to me, and I hope to those watching of, uh, there are so many leaving negatively from ministry or leaving um, with conflict. Um, and there is so much press about uh, the negative stories of ministry and the conflict presses in upon us too. Um, to have good examples of vitality and vibrancy over a long term and a deep love of the church uh, that carries throughout life. I mean, that's just very encouraging for all of us. And um, and hopefully encouraging to those considering retirement, thinking about what is that next stage, that there is a next thing to go through. There's ministry to be done um, throughout. I, I know uh, when well, my grandmother, who was not a minister, but a lay person at First Baptist Longview, 
she had, she couldn't do much toward the end of her life, died of pancreatic cancer about six and a half years ago, seven years ago, something like that. But even when she couldn't do much of anything, we had to have the crochet basket next to her bed because she was going to make um, baby blankets for their pregnancy crisis center. Mm. And she was going to do that to the end. I mean, Mamma was going to go down swinging for the kingdom, you know. <laughs> wow. And I think mm. of that all often. Of love, mm. Boy, don't you want to, you want your call to carry you through to love the church more deeply, to serve um, in whatever way you can at whatever season for as long as you can. Um, and to see y'all's evident love of that um, is just, it's really encouraging for us. So to bring this kind of full back to it, the first com- the first question of our first conversation was about some of y'all's call journey. At this stage, um, how are you understanding your calling, that calling that drew you into this, um, that calling that has sustained you through some of this? We talked about in our last conversation, the call that helps you hang in there when you'd almost rather do anything, but um, how do you understand your calling in this stage of life? And I'll just leave it there. 50 years later or so. Well, you know, uh, gosh, Matt, I, um, I guess because I don't know, I didn't have the ambiguity. One of my struggles when I first came to seminary is that I expected so many of the students to have the same sense of their calling as I had. And I had the, my students had to teach me mm-hmm. that God works in, with different people in different ways. Just hearing Levi today talk about how God used him, formed him, shaped him, took him to the mission field back in faster. I mean, that was, that was a God's Levi Price journey mm-hmm. of getting Levi ready for, for what God wanted him to do down the way. And so there's not just one way that's it's all unique but when I was called I mean it was just real simple called me to be a pastor and that including the proclamation the caring the call to congregational life so that's one thing is the but I think amidst and at the center of that um I uh I I would need to go deeper but in a don't need to do that now, but but let me just say this. When when God, when I knew God put a claim on my life to serve him, and I knew that I was being called by God to do whatever God wanted me to do. I, I mean, how do you how do you possibly uh what greater thing is it? I mean, you know, you're called to serve. Yeah. And, you know, you show up to serve and God opens doors. I, you know, I've heard that all my life. People make fun of it because it <laughs> sounds so simplistic. But, you know, you're called to serve and doors open and you walk yeah. through. I mean, and, and it's just, I mean, it's so deeply meaningful to know uh, that, you know, that's all, that's all I really am. Yeah. I, you know, my philosophy of ministry came from an old turpentine farmer in Georgia. Waldo Woodcock, who was the discipleship training director with the state of Georgia when I went to pastor in suburban Atlanta. And uh, he came in one day uh, to see me. I was his new pastor. And he said, uh, what's your philosophy of ministry? Well, I've just written this really good paper and PhD work. You know, some of them wrote a philosophy of teaching. I wrote a philosophy of pastoral ministry. And I had it in my files, and I still remember some of it. So I just kind of 
summarize it. And he sat there and just beamed. And I thought, boy, am I really something to be able to talk to, to Waldo Woodcock about my philosophy of mystery? Am I not something? He said, Pastor, that, that might be the best thing I've ever heard. And boy, was I full of myself. And so I sat there and I said, well, Levi, or, or Waldo, what's your, Waldo Woodcock, Waldo, what is your philosophy of ministry? And they said, oh, Pastor, all I do is give God a chance to work. <laughs> I, I almost didn't breathe as he was walking out of the room. Yeah. I literally reached in my file and tore that paper in half. <laughs> <laughs> and that's been my philosophy of yeah. ministry from that day. That's been it. You know, what What better thing is there yeah. than to just say, you know, I'm a servant. And, well, uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm well, your servant. I, you know, it's that Samuel yeah. uh, reality, isn't it, Levi? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just at the core yeah. of who you are. And so that's a good word. And you've got a, you've got a key there. I, my first church, you know, I was seminary student, Pastorist Church, and, and uh, I, we had a some kind of banquet. I had one of the professors from seminary come over to speak to our church that night. And he came over, we had a, a banquet, whatever. Everybody was having fun. It was it was a good night. And he looked around and said, boy, you're doing a good job there. And I said, you know, I don't know. I don't know that I'm doing anything here. And he said, well, at least you're not getting in the way. <laughs> that may be the thing he's going to watch you say. Yeah. At least you're not getting in the way. That may be that may be a target. Yeah. I uh I, I may get emotional too, I'm sorry, but uh you know, I gave my life to Christ. I was in the Marine Corps and, and pretty soon began to feel the calling to go to seminary and prepare, you know. And uh, I, it was always for me to be a pastor. I had a young man who was in youth group in the church we were involved with. And he said, so you're going to seminary? And I said, yes. I am. And he said, well, what are you going to do? you got to just be a pastor? <laughs> and you know, that really hit me. What do you mean just be a pastor? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because... I think I think it was a calling to be a pastor from the beginning, mm -hmm. you know? and and so I said, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna study and try to be a pastor, whatever. And I had opportunities at that point. I, before I went to Marine Corps, I worked for a contractor at California very successful contractor. He offered me a partnership in his company to come back and work for him. Mm -hmm. I made captain in the Marine Corps. Two years as an officer, two years it was, it was unheard of. I mean, it was the Vietnam thing, and they were, they were really scrambling for company great officers. I mean, Captain Marine Corps, making more money than I ever made in my life, you know, mm. as a as mm. a Captain Marine Corps. Mm. And it was the future of the Marine Corps. I think if I stayed in the Marine Corps, the future, I'd have to go back to Vietnam once or maybe twice, but uh, but there was the future of the Marine Corps. And uh, you know, Lou and I prayed about it and he said, no, the Lord's the Lord's calling us to ministry. We gotta go that direction. See, I can tell you today. There'll be times when I said, Oh, I wish I stayed in the Marine Corps, I could retire. Maybe as a lieutenant colonel had a great retirement, you know. <laughs> uh and there have been times when I said, you know, we, we 
if I'd have gone to work back to work for Logan, we probably would have uh, had a lot more money than we had, a lot more stuff than we had. But the truth is, man, Ron, you understand this? I wouldn't trade my life for it. That's the truth. Amen. Amen. Sorry. You got to know this about pastors. Not a lot of us cry outside of speaking, but most of us get our cries in when we speak. <laughs> That's when it all comes up for whatever reason. And uh, uh, that, that means it's genuine. There's good emotion there. Um, it is. I mean, what, what a life to live when people name their kids after you. And you, yeah. you're the first one to see people's babies. And you're the last one to pray with them when they die. And you're there at their marriages and every point in between. Uh, once you get a taste of that, and if you like it, um, and it feels right. There's just not much else you can do that feels as full as that. Um, and you leave certainly legacy that just ripples out and out. But this has been a wonderful three conversations. I've enjoyed it. I think it's going to be a great encouragement um, to many that watch. I know it's something I'll probably listen to again and again. And it's just a, a personal treasure for me to be able to sit with you all and visit. Um, thank you for your stories. Thank you for your life. For me, thank you for your ministries that have affected me and my family and the many others um, that have uh, have watched and will watch. We appreciate it. Um, and uh, it sounds like, you know, in the Bible, Old Testament, you're really just getting started at about 80 for a lot of those Old Testament <laughs> characters. And y'all may not quite be there yet. So we may have a whole other, we can do this maybe in another 20 years and see what y'all done in ministry at that point and have another fun conversation. But Thank you all for tuning in today. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.